If you've ever found yourself passionately curious, the time to soak knowledge and question the how and why, and think you might have the curiosity to push past average, push all the way to limitless, then welcome to Sales Network One. Sebastian Vivacqua is an expert on the human connection of sales in life and business, and he's here to evolve our thinking about the psychology of selling. You'll also hear from sales heroes, growth addicts, and rising stars on their strategies, methodologies, and techniques all tools you can use for your own limitless growth. It's the concepts, the fundamentals, even things you've heard before, but presented in a way that just makes sense. Now, let's get into it. Yes, guys, we are back to business with another episode of Sales Network One. Today, I'm here with a special guest, Loba Kramer. How are you doing, Loba? Very well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to have you on the show and, and I want to make an introduction for everyone to, to get to know you for those that don't. Uh, Lola is CEO of Startup Funding Event. I recently attended to, to that a great event. It was, it was a, a lot of preparation for it and, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's going to continue growing. We can see it on the back there. And he's also a CEO of on, and founder for Lighting Media Editors. And you can see it on the left as well. You can also see that they have a big, big portfolio of, of, uh, of big clients. So uh, that, that's what I want also Loa to get into it and, and discuss about. Um, but on the other hand as well, he also is author and founder of Why Not 3, which is uh, focused on helping entrepreneurs achieve a work-life balance, right? Through a platform, you also have your book. So, and on the other hand, he's also a body language and micro-expression trainer. He has experience in sales. He's coached sales teams, project management, you name it, and uh, I can keep on going, but l let me get started with uh, with something that Loa posted an article, and he wanted to share with him, with, with with everyone uh, this uh, this little saying that he found. You know, like the chances of becoming a billion a millionaire, right? That's one percent, and it's how I, I want to ask him a question here. So, chances of becoming a billionaire, 0.0002 percent. Chances of winning the lottery, 0.0001 percent. Uh, chances of being born are 0.0000001%. So that's one in trillion chances to be born. And the way uh, Loa says it is you, you won the day you took your first breath. So let's get the episode kicked off with this question that I want to ask you. What are you doing with your winnings? Which is one of your questions. Yeah. Um, well, there's different types of winnings. Um, lately, the team has been growing a lot. We've transitioned from startup to scale up um, two years ago, I think. And so most of my winnings are celebrating my team's winnings. Um, I used to do a lot of speaking gigs and trying to get awards and, and on big stages. Um, and nowadays, my kind of role in the company is making sure that you know, my people can go on a TEDx stage and uh, or can host uh, the events or funding events. Right. So so we try to celebrate their winnings. Um, we awesome. use reflection for that. Um, one of the things that we do is uh, every couple of months we have, um, every month we have a day um, based on actually uh, what I learned from a book. It's called a brain trust where we have half a day where we just reflect about, you know, what we screwed up, what we won, appreciation and feedback, uh, all these things that we go through today. Uh, every big event, which is usually every six months we have an event, 
um, or maybe three to six months we have an event. Um, the day after the event, uh, we also have an entire day of team building. Uh, so during those days we have appreciation time, we have uh, dinners and fancy stuff. and uh, So usually that's how I celebrate my winnings. My own winnings, I'm pretty bad at celebrating. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's, that sounds very like team, you, you like uh, part, being part of a team. So And, and I, I like that culture. I like being part of my team. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard when I, so I, I love uh, having a job as well back in the day, uh, but um, I, I always had bad leaders um, or like okay leaders, but for an overachiever like me, an okay leader is bad because um, they, they try to hold you back. Uh, and so I was always looking for a good leader. And, and the reason I say I like my team is because yeah. um, I approach it in a way that is leader servant model. So I'm kind of the guy who has the most work and I'm serving them and nobody brings me coffee I bring them coffee type of uh, scenario so so then in that sense I love my team um, and I love that we have that culture where everybody thinks like that um, and obviously when I meet other companies that have that culture I absolutely love the leaders there as well um, and that's partially how we have this portfolio behind me because uh, I always look for companies that have that culture that I couldn't find back at home, uh, and then I do whatever it takes to to work with them. Amazing! I I really like the the work culture there, and, and and the way you actually treat your team. Like it's almost like you're talking to me like they're part of your family. So it's like your family. Well, they are my family yeah, in that so. sense. I spend more time with them, and and I just spend my entire day with them. And like start funding events. Sometimes we have to work till five o'clock in the morning, uh, especially the last week was every day like that. Um, you can't do that if you don't feel like they're almost like your family. So yeah, makes sense. And then taking, uh, I, I want to go back into because for people, if if they look there on the right, they can see all the all the names which you like to be editors is working with. So how did you build that up when you when you were starting from scratch? How did you manage to to get all these big names? Uh, yeah, working with them. Um, so you say. I had a mentor, uh, you can see like some of our clients on the website as well, but yeah. I had a mentor um, and he pretty much said, uh, you can start small, but you can also start big. Uh, don't stair step your goals, he said. Um, and I was pretty much a blank slate at the time. So I was just like, sure, let's just do big. Uh, in the beginning, I think my first real client uh, was um, an excursion that I took to China. Yeah, and uh, and it wasn't even lightning yet. It was like I edited the project under my own name, and then uh, the person asked for feedback, and I found that lightning in the middle of that project. So I just switched my name to the company's name and unofficially became the first project. Um, and then uh, I think I came back to my university. I was still studying. Yeah, uh, and I. Um, I found a message that our university needed a videographer and uh, my university by chance is the biggest university in Belgium as well. Right. And once I got them, the other universities started following and I think in one year all the major players um, in Belgium, Antwerp, Ghent, uh, Brussels, like all these big ones, uh, they just followed because I got the big one and then the others just kind of followed. All right, because um, well, they all know each other, yeah, um, and they all want to be connected with the of course. 
So like with the big universities, so then it just becomes easier to get into the doors um, instead of starting with small and then kind of hustling your way through it. Right. So I, if, you, if, you have to, if you had to say your, your selling approach in that regard, so it's more like relationships, so to say, that you, you took advantage, right? Yeah. So when I enter a new market, like, uh, so my team used to ask all the time, um, especially my volunteering team, like why not three, um, which is my charity. Yeah. Um, they used to ask me like, how do you build a business? But also like enlightening, everybody's just very entrepreneurial and they want to know how to start their own thing and everybody's encouraged to do their own thing and can use the resources like these cameras and stuff like that yeah. and conference rooms, uh, to start their own thing. Uh, it's very much encouraged. Uh, which in the beginning I was a little bit like scared, but then um, I realized that you can't like if people want to be loyal, they'll be loyal. And if you're a jealous boyfriend or something like that, or like a jealous family member, like there, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's gonna happen anyways. Whereas if you're like living in abundance and you just let them be themselves, uh, then they grow much faster, which contributes to the company as well. We get more resources, so there's a benefit in them staying. Uh, and worst case, we also have an investment fund. So I also invest my own money into their things uh, sometimes because um, I trust them more. I know right. how they execute. I know their pain points. I know where they're weak at, where they're not weak at. Um, and so I can make a calculated decision with my money. Um, and then like, obviously it's very small investments, but it's also because my team can execute with very little money, a big thing. So, yeah. Great. Well, um Going deeper then onto your sales team, so to say, you're the one that started everything. So therefore you're the one that brings the culture, the working culture will be what you started. So maybe it'll, it'll be great to, to hear what your working culture in sales, what your sales team is and, yeah. and what you teach them in that. So region. we're super sales oriented. Um, sales is oxygen is like for sure a thing with us. Uh, one of the things that, that is reminded every single day is, uh, Every single member should be making money every single day, even if it's like one euro. Uh, I, I'm super vicious about that because it doesn't happen, unfortunately, every day. Uh, but, but lately it's been actually going pretty well. But, but the reality is it's a very sales oriented culture because I used to do sales as a job yeah. and, um, and then I grew in those, I used to do it for charities and then I grew through the ranks and I used to train people and and what I realized is a lot of my team leaders said sales is a God-given talent. It's like this, you're born with it. And I was not born with it. I was a huge introvert. I had to learn everything. And uh, when I actually got through the ranks, I used to take all the people that were about to get fired. Um, I'm very naive. I kind of love uh, the ones that really want to do it, but just don't get it. Uh, so I, because I was like that, so I want to support them. So I used to get all those people that were about to get fired and they would go in my team and then they would become the highest performing teams in, uh, in uh, the company. They would go into their own teams and so on. After a while, obviously you keep doing that and you don't get a salary raise and then it's like, holy shit, I'm making a lot of sales. I should do something for myself. But as I learned the hard way, sales yeah. is not entrepreneurship. Uh, so that took a while before I got that. Um, but so the culture is very much like back then. I believe that I can teach most of the people, not everybody, and uh, I'm, I, have, I have faith in, in the way I teach people. And, uh, and it starts with the way I learned it. You know, you start with 
Well, we can't do door to door now, but like in the beginning, it was very vicious. I did door to door, street. Um, and so, what we do, however, for clients is guerrilla marketing campaigns. Right. So, we do like a lot of these street things or we go to events and do crazy stuff. Um, and so, everybody starts as an intern or a trainee in these really kind of vicious environments. Yeah. With the right attitude, it's a really fun experience. With the wrong attitudes, you're going to hate it which is great for me because, you know, I'd rather have somebody exit the company fast uh, before they're stuck and start demoralizing other people. So everybody kind of enters through sales and, and no matter which position you have, editor, filmmaker, every single person yeah. has to go through sales. Just like um, if you have like a SaaS company, um, software service, everybody has to go through customer uh, service. Uh, for most Silicon Valley companies. We don't really have customer service because we have corporate clients. Yeah. Uh, so everybody goes through sales and experiences our client interaction through sales. And once they start making sales, um, they start, depending on which position, they do less of those sales, go into their editor, filmmaker positions, whatever. But like the first month, it's like, it's pretty vicious. Um, we have three weeks recruitment, that's like without them having a job, it's just recruitment. Yeah. Uh, where they have like interviews, tasks, a test, uh, and among those tests are things like uh, where we test them on how, you know, they don't have to be extrovert, but they have to know how to act socially or want to know. Yeah. Um, and then I always used to say like, sales is like, I love sales because <laughs> sale you can't lie with sales. Like you just can't. If uh, if I have a guy who's in his fifty, I actually hired a woman a while ago uh, with a ton of experience. Yeah. Um, and just so I've had like 40, 50 year olds um, in my company. I also had the young ones, and just the best equalizer, the best one to test every single person is, you know, put them on the street and go see what the fuck they can do. Uh, if, uh, yeah, if they make a ton of money in their previous job and then they cannot even sell, you know, like a pen to a stranger, there's something off there. Because what I found when I started hiring a lot of these people is a lot of these people have made a lot of contributions to their past company. Uh, but usually there was a boss there or a yeah. team and some key players that actually did the most important work. And so on their CV, it's written that they did the sales. But then, you know, the streets really do weed those people out. Um, and we had to make a lot of mistakes and we lost some money as well in the process. But eventually we learned that lesson, which is you need to find a test, the super practical, short, simple where nobody can lie. Um, so putting them on the street or putting them in front of a client or whatever, uh, it's just going to weed people out like that. All right. Well, I, I think you unpacked a lot of great stuff in there to, uh, for people to, to listen and, and also understand. And, and I think it's, it's very crucial, like you're saying. I mean, everyone, everyone not everyone is born with that, uh, with that sales, with sales skills. I always like to say, you you are you are either born yeah that's possible of course, but also you, you can evolve those skills. Yeah. So I always like to say that everyone has the potential to evolve or unlock their inner sales skills even if you don't know it yet. And but like you are saying, at the end of the day you can put whatever you like on paper of what you've done with sales, 
and sales don't lie because when you when you get when you test them like you like you see you're doing you're gonna realize pretty fast that what if, if what they're saying is true or not yeah and that's a really good way of filtering good salespeople with non good salespeople and at the end of the day you know yeah. who should give a shot to right because at the end of the day sometimes I imagine that you feel that this person has a potential to uh, evolve into a much better salesperson yeah so you give them a chance so in which instances you wouldn't yeah so actually uh, we learned one of the ways what I mentioned with a lot of mistakes that we did uh, we learned that we cannot uh, know who's gonna cut it and who's not um, so that's why we do a three-week recruitment uh, for a reason. When we did one-week recruitments, we noticed that um, a lot of, also salespeople, but just I noticed uh, people in general that are applying for jobs are quite desperate. Um, and, and sometimes they're desperate, sometimes they're not desperate, uh, but they could be like entitled, which is also a bad thing we're filtering for. And, and entitled means they think they're the shit, and then um, they want to align to us because we have such a nice culture with the bar and the beers every Thursday and the traveling abroad. Uh, so they feel like they deserve to be in a company like this. Whereas for us, we had to work really hard to get to that point. And it was a lot of you know, tough times that makes this culture the way it is. So if you don't go through those tough times, you're not gonna understand what we did to get to that culture. Um, and, and so one of the things we learned is with one week, people can fake motivation. Uh, and with two weeks, the really good liars can also fake that motivation. Um, and, and, and because by week, week one and a half, the motivation starts fading. But if it's two weeks, you know, they're, they're just going to tell themselves, oh, but like I'm almost there. Um, but the first week, everybody just like fakes motivation. Uh, and, and then the second week, even the ones that wanted to work here, um, they start realizing why they want to work here. Because no sane person is going to go through three weeks of shit, pretty much, uh, to work at a company. Uh, so at week two, everybody starts understanding like why they're applying, why they really want to stick with us, or why they feel like they don't fit in. Or um, there are two things that people that don't fit in uh, around week two think, which is I'm not good enough for this company, uh, which is very unfortunate because um, they start looking at our company like something that it's not, uh, which is like this big thing, which it's not. Um, but it's good that they don't apply in that moment of time in their life because uh, they would be too insecure in our culture. And insecurity in our culture gets eaten alive because we do a lot of things we're insecure about every day. Uh, and so you need to be confident in yourself and your skills to be able to thrive in our culture. So those people get weeded out, uh, but maybe we'll apply again in six months. So we do try to motivate them to do that. But then the ones that actually lied and just applied for the fancy stuff, they start realizing that it's hard work around week two. Yeah. Uh, and then they start understanding like holy shit like uh, I just wanted to chill my ass off in Barcelona on, on one of our applications uh, videos like we have video testimonials for our yeah. interns and employees um, and one of them was shot on a yacht in Barcelona so we obviously put it on top but then people are like I just want to chill on a yacht in Barcelona and then we get to week two and it's like I don't want to do all of this crap and then those get weeded out which is perfect for us um, and, and so we needed to have a three-week recruitment 
um, to make sure that the people that want to work with us know why they want to work with us and actually stick. Um, and so out of every 100 people, we used to get around uh, eight. And we have like every couple of months, we have 100 people applying. And, and like maybe eight we would hire. And nowadays, um, we only would hire, we're, we're having a recruitment round right now, so we would hire maybe two or three. All right. Um, and recruitment rounds are every three to four months. So so we got an even stricter now. Yeah. Because um, we learned a lot of things about people and how they act and, and, and people who just want to join because they want to chill at the beach or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so we, so we, what, pretty much what we learned is uh, we don't trust ourselves anymore because we're human, and human in science everybody knows that if you're doing experiments, the fact that you're human means that you have uh, an inclination to think certain things. Especially if you're a male, you think male things, or there's like, or if you're raised in Western Europe, you think Western Europe things. So, so we trust our system a lot because our system has weeded out people that we would have never hired and have turned out to be our best employees. Um, so, so yeah, we stopped thinking. We had candidates where we thought like, these are gonna change our company. And like, they left like a week into the recruitment. It's like, we, we don't know. We literally don't know. So we accept everybody. Uh, we don't look at grades. We don't look at where you used to work. I, I, I hired people that worked in huge Silicon Valley companies, which I only found out on their first day. Because I, well, I don't look at CVs, uh, like HR looks at CVs. I only have the last talk with them. Right. So I don't ask where you worked, because like, I ask you the things that are important to our culture. So I only find out on the first day when I actually look at their CV, oh shit, they worked at like a big company. Uh, got it. And even that doesn't mean a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got it. I mean. Uh, it's very interesting, of course, to hear your perspective here because uh, a lot of every company applies a different strategy in this regards when it comes to, to sales teams. Yeah. And uh, like you're saying, it, it can be unpredictable and you get to realize you, you do have your process now with, your, with three weeks where you get to realize how to, to filter. So that's, uh, that's great. And, and, and uh, I'll, I'll unpack a, a lot of uh, show notes there for everyone to, to hear the takeaways here. Moving on to on, on similar similar topic in sales, you've certified yourself as a trainer in body language and uh, micro expressions. And I think it's very, very yeah. crucial when it comes to sales, understanding body language, right? It's, uh, it's something that we can't be talking right now and I can, I, can, I, can, I can be selling you something. And through body language and my expressions, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give away that I'm somehow making something up. And I think this is very great that you, you probably get to train your guys and, and get to take them through uh, this process. So that'll be interesting for, for listeners to hear that out from you. Yeah, so, okay, my journey in body language is completely different to everything in my company. <laughs> um, in the beginning, it's like everybody, you start reading books and then, you know, there are a couple of books out there that everybody reads, um, which I'm not gonna recommend because uh, some of them are not scientifically backed. Um, but like, there are a lot do your research and most of them work although my argument there is most of them work because of experience not because you read the book uh, although the book usually and that's what the books around body language do very well yeah uh, force you to start looking at a person and listening 
Uh, and when you start looking and listening, you start noticing when they're engaged and when they're not. Uh, and for every person that looks a little bit different, even though there are some universal signs. Uh, but so I started with books and then there was this course in Belgium uh, from, from the uh, Institute of Body Language and Cent Center for Body Language and Microexpressions. Um, and so I followed the basic course, the advanced course, and then the trainer course. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. That's kind of like my journey on that. And so I don't really teach body language to my salespeople. Um, I put them in the department where we do B2C, so business to consumer, so we sell right. to consumers. Um, and so in one month, uh, usually the first two weeks, they have to close 200 sales. That means they approach more than a thousand people for sure. Um, and so that's how they learn. And right. usually by the time they get to five, they're 500 to a thousand sales, like we never count really those. We just usually take month two or three, and then usually at that point they're between the 500 and 1,000 sales. Um, and they're really small sales, like um, like stupid things, like five to 10 euro sales, yeah. sometimes like 20, 50 euros. Uh, but like it's a lot of them, and, and, it, and it has to be with consumers, it has to be face-to-face. -face. Um, so even the cold calling people yeah. start with the face-to-face -face interactions. Um, and, and there's a lot of ways you can do it. You can do it with money by having actual products that you can sell to people yeah. in specific locations. But you can also do it uh, by, this is how you used to train salespeople. Um, I wasn't allowed to make them sell stuff at some companies. So what I did is I had like uh, waffles or pens or whatever was yeah. one euro worth. I would give them a pen and a waffle and they would have to trade up. And then they would usually have an hour or two to trade up and then they would have to come back and the person with the coolest thing won. And so one, once I remember, and I have this on video somewhere, um, we had a girl in a group of 20 or 30 yeah. and she came back with a fully new, super nice cognac bottle All right. from a waffle two hours later. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, and so, so that's another way to do it. But, but the reality is like, to trade up to that cognac bottle, she would have had done at least 10 sales, like 10 trade ups, uh, which is a face to face interaction. Um, and I always notice um, at the hundred sale. So nobody gets to talk to me or ask me for advice in my company until they hit hundred sales, because every time they do, I tell them, did you sell hundreds? And if not, then go back and figure it out because Google can teach you how to do those hundred sales. After they hit a hundred, they usually have a pattern of reference. So then when I tell them, have you seen this happen? You know, has this person moved, you know, this, or like if you have a group of a certain amount of people, do you see that the interaction starts shifting and do you know how to manipulate that? Um, and so they don't see those things until that hundred sale has happened. They start noticing it after the hundred, they're not really good at it yet. Uh, but usually at the 200, I can start like doing stuff with them. So at the 200 sale, then they start going into cold calling with us. They start learning about tonality, which you learn on the phone, not on face-to-face -face interactions because you're focusing on other stuff in the face-to-face. Yeah. Um, and so with cold calling, they start focusing there. Uh, and eventually they do that well around that same time, they also start networking. And if they do start doing that well, we slowly start shifting them into the corporate sales B2B. Right. Uh, cold calling is also B2B. But um, yeah, and then 
that's slowly where we start hiring uh, full-time because um, they've really proven themselves and they're just amazing at that point and uh, there may be sometimes maybe they're not the best uh, like if you put them in front of like this huge executive who's making like hundreds of sales a day uh, but they're definitely one of the most consistent people and the, the hardest thing in the salesperson especially when you're hiring salespeople yeah. the hardest thing for me as a salesperson in the beginning was to become consistent uh, and that's why I would always say that I would put any of my people against another salesperson uh, and over a longer term see who who kind of wins it has to do with my people are consistent yeah. so they will eventually out maybe not outwork but they would outwin with sales just because they're consistent because they've done quantity and after quantity we start focusing on quality right um, and you but you can't do it the other way around because you don't have a frame of reference um, you would screw up things during your meeting uh, that you wouldn't even know where was happening um, so body language is like one of the last things we start looking into uh, and that's when they become team leaders right because uh, now they have to train other people yeah. and they have to start noticing about their body language on what is happening when they're talking with a consumer or a business you know they need to notice when they're nervous what they do uh, how and also because sometimes you can be in the interaction right sometimes you're just looking from the sidelines as they sell something and and you need to know so when you're really good at body language and you've done the same sale like thousands of times, you don't need to listen and hear every word to understand in which point of the sale this person is or where they're screwing up. Uh, to the point where like nowadays I'm so busy, I almost don't get to go with the B2C teams anymore, but they come to me, we have a meeting and they tell me what happened. And then I can tell them from my experience what they could try out Right. And, and, and it happened like once um, they were doing some uh, sales outside um, with uh, a guerrilla marketing uh, thing that we did for our event. Right. And they were closing at 10 to 20% conversion rate. So every 10 people, one or two would close. And I was like, something is wrong there because you need to get to 50, 60% conversion. And I tweaked one little thing in their script. And since then, every single person, 50, 60% conversion rate um, after their 100 sale. So sometimes, like at this point, I don't even have to be in the interaction anymore to understand what is happening. Uh, but it's obviously highly focused on specific skills and sales is very broad. Indeed. Um, but I always believed in getting good at a couple of small things and then scaling that. Um, than you know just being a jack of all trades even though as an entrepreneur you kind of need to have that as well makes sense makes sense and uh, I think you're on, on one thing you're the way they start makes sense that body language is not something that you start with so it's something that comes natural when they moved on the, on the ladder so to say so you have your it's it's a it's a you, I, I guess you have a, a different everyone has their their ways and techniques and, 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 and strategy when it comes to building their sales team so you do have your your own way of doing it and I guess there's many other ways and I, and I, and I would say uh, if in your case this one it, it's working it's something that you're you can continuously in your case you're you're working through it yeah. and, and building it up 
but I wouldn't I would say there's many other ways as well to to, yeah. to try so are you also figuring out other ways to pivot and try yeah. so what are you looking yeah, into the... so that's that's where I was like uh, wanted to say something yeah uh, we're in the early stages of building sales teams so we're learning every single month something stupid that we did like like I said like if you would have approached me think like nine or ten months ago we would have been at that 10 20 percent conversion rate still figuring out how to get to 50 60 yeah uh, and then a couple of months later we figured that out and then so every time there's like I think one of the things we're figuring out right now is how to scale the teams like how to hire a lot of salespeople because right now we were focusing on building the system that is as objective as possible that filters them out then trains them as easy as like us figuring out that quantity is more important in the beginning than quality um, like in sales terms and inventing pretty much a b2c product to accommodate our salespeople yeah. is also something that happened recently and these are like mistakes we did that we had to realize so it's almost sales became like an hr thing for us like this is how we need to train people in order for them to actually start doing what we actually do which is you know corporate work um so right now we're in the stages of figuring out how to scale teams uh, how to hire a lot of salespeople, how to motivate them how to make sure that they keep consistency and and i know the team leader of sales right now um she got hired recently um to manage like the whole thing yeah. and scale it as well um what we realized there is that we can't use anybody until they hit their 200 sale. So their 100 sale, like we don't, we're not even talking to them because they need to, the reason, there's a reason we don't talk to them in the first 100 uh, because one of the, the worst thing in sales is that you start having crutches. Like in the beginning people say, oh, you like a tricycle, like you need like these extra helping wheels on a bike to, to get you there. And, and um, unfortunately with sales, um, in a super fast growing company like ours, um, like we can't do that. We're not babysitters. We don't have time to nurture people um, over a span of years. Uh, to get a salesperson comfortable with themselves and trust their skills, that doesn't take two months. That takes a year or two. Um, and so the first hundred sales are without us because we don't want them to feel like we're their crutch. We want them to take their time, figure it out by themselves using Google and YouTube, because I did it that way, and if I can do it, then they can do it as well, unless they don't have the right motivation. Yeah. So we filter them out. The ones that make it, they know they can do shit by themselves, which is a great mindset to enter by the time we go into the next hundred, where now we have undivided attention to train them to become super consistent. Um, and so figuring out like those stages as well um, with the quantity and what type of sales and, and what type of products and stuff like that, like, yeah, that's what we're working on right now. Um, and, and we're also looking, so one of the things, one of the books I love is uh, Work the System by Sam Carpenter. And pretty much some, like if you look at the summary, it pretty much comes down to there are three systems that you can do to build any type of system. A company right. is a system. It's people, hardware, or software. 
and also the conclusion is you want to do as little as possible with people because um, they have the most variables like they will screw up the most things and are the most in inconsistent uh, beings whereas uh, like software will mostly run and hardware as well although hardware is quite expensive so you maybe want to stay away from hardware as well um, but like uh, an example of hardware would be like we work on Apple, everything is on Apple, yeah. and we have the most expensive MacBooks. So uh, employees that join our company get uh, like a super nice MacBook. Um, so we don't do shitty, you know, uh, cheap MacBooks where you can like load up for 30 minutes, like it doesn't work. So that's a hardware thing. It makes every single time I've had Windows uh, users in my company, I've had uh, Mac users, Every single time when I would switch, I used to give Windows users a chance because I was a gamer and I used to love Windows and hated Apple. Um, and at this point, something we had to learn as well. Every single person, even the salespeople, they get a MacBook with a big screen, with a super good pro processor and enough RAM, they perform better and faster. Um, it's just smoother. And so the results don't lie. Sales doesn't lie, so it just it works <laughs> apparently. So that's a hardware thing on how you can make it more efficient. Um, then another example of hardware is like we had an employee with a terrible phone. Like every four hours the battery would die. Um, and so we got her, um, she wanted like the Samsung Notes, the latest uh, one, just like this huge screen. Like the next day that she got it, like productivity went way up. Just because, you know, you could reach her. She wasn't worrying about batteries and finding where the plug was. Like these small things that you wouldn't think until seriously, she didn't even tell me she was worrying about it until the next day when she got the phone and the battery lasted the entire day. And she's like, oh my God, I'm not even worrying about these. And it's like, wow, you should have told me this. Like the whole point is making you as efficient as possible because else yeah. you're not making sales. Um, and so this, that's a hardware thing. And then software is obviously like CRMs, um, like lead gen lists, um, things that automate stupid things like Google Calendar. Um, so that's software. And, and you want to use all of these things uh, as much as possible to a point where you could do the work of 100 people with 10. Um, and that's always been the case with Lightning where we can use technology, including machine learning and AI yeah. um, in our videos so that we can do the same thing that an agency of a hundred can do, uh, that we could do that with 10 people. Um, and, and it's kind of based on work the system by Sam Carpenter. Great stuff, uh, Loa. It's, it's been a great episode and uh, it's very interesting to hear your perspective here on, on, on building up a sales team, so to say. So just the final question that I'd like to ask you to conclude uh, this awesome episode, what, what will be your one takeaway that you would like to leave uh, listeners spe specifically to salespeople? Yeah, so my main takeaway is the biggest mistake and costs us the most money is realize that um, for yourself as a salesperson, but also if you have the privilege of training other people, uh, quantity in the beginning uh, of sales and face-to-face -face interactions and later the tonality on the phones are the most important uh, and afterwards start focusing on quality and and I guess maybe a small second thing is if you have the pr privilege of training other people or you are not encouraged enough to follow sales just know everyone can technically learn it 
um, even if you don't have a talent for it. And my argument was always that if you learn it, you could become even more consistent than the ones that have the talent for it. And consistency is the most important thing in sales. It's not those peaks, it's, it's the people they can perform and keep growing. Uh, if they go constantly like this, you want to keep them in the company. Uh, so those are my main takeaways, the ones that I learned from the most. Great. And, I, and on, on all your last sentences is something that I also strongly believe in. So that's uh, awesome, uh, Loa. And uh, just a final question. How can people get in contact with you? Um, so obviously, if they want a video, just reach out on the website, lightningpairs.com. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, uh, Start Funding Event is our charity event, or, or more, mostly, it's less of a charity, it's just like a part of our department where we bring together our clients and people. It's a way of us giving back, um, supported by showing up to the event and inviting people. Tickets are always free. Um, we, we try to keep them, you know, free uh, so by people showing up and bringing a lot of people creating a really nice atmosphere is partially how um, it makes it worth it to us to do that uh, and the reason you'd want to do that is because the impact startups on stage can potentially change the world just like the four winners before have done already in some uh, cap capability uh, they've improved lives uh, so so come there support them just like we organized start a funding event to support them and give back. Um, so yeah, please show up, share the message. If you see a Facebook message or Instagram, please share it. Uh, that's how you can help us and show up to the event and reach out through the event. And that's how you can keep in touch with us. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that was awesome. Thanks. Thanks again for coming to the show. Cool. Thank you. All right. And to everyone, it's uh, it's been a great episode and uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to leave some, some show notes and, I would love to hear your feedback as well because, of course, it's a very it's a it's a topic in 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 which everyone has their unique perspective here. So, I hope you enjoyed it, and yes, hope to see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. This has been Sales Network One, covering the concepts, the fundamentals, things you've heard others ramble on about, but in an innovative, exciting way that just makes sense. Join Sebastian again on the next episode. Subscribe now so you're first to hear it. And if you really liked it, give us a five-star review or share this episode with a friend. Our website is salesnetworkone.com. Hasta la vista, baby.